Hello and welcome back. It's episode 72 of Canberra Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation, we are talking about working hard to get better. To do so, we are joined by the gentleman from Physio Clinic Glasgow, Rob and Aaron. We address the big topics in the physio world, including the misconceptions around rest, some of the fad treatments out there, and how you can recover from a major incident, setback or surgery, and even how you can train with pain. The boys and I use our experience of physio from my own days playing rugby to explain how their treatment moves away from passive modalities and promotes self-efficacy in patients. All will be explained about these terms as the episode goes, so don't worry at this stage. Rob and Aaron explain the multifactorial aspects of pain for the mind and body, and we learn about the role that our lifestyles, relationships, and stress all play in our ability to recover and train. Lastly, we learn about their experience producing and delivering a health service during a global pandemic in the last year or so, as well as their final biggest pet hates within the industry. It's an episode where I personally learned a lot in the discussion, and I'm sure you will too. I'm delighted to say that today's podcast is brought to you by Factory Weights. When we're speaking today about your ability to work on weaknesses and improve on different areas within your body to feel better and get better, Factory Weights can come into that and you can get high quality gym and fitness equipment at an affordable price to either kit out your home gym or even just get a couple of bits of kit to support you with your training at home and it's all at an affordable price with next day delivery for just £3. Factory Weights are heavy on quality but light on price and you can check out their website at factoryweights.co.uk will be linked in the show notes below and if you want to get a discount you can use call 10 to get 10% off. They're already very reasonably priced as many of my followers on Instagram have commented, but to get that extra 10%, it's just a little bit of a sweetener into the bargain. Before we dive into this episode, please, please, please make sure you've hit the subscribe or the follow button wherever you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss out on the episodes that we have coming up. Equally, if you are new here and you are enjoying this style of conversation, there is over 71 other episodes to dive back and listen into and pick ones that meet your requirements. It's always amazing when new listeners come along and they go into the back catalogue and find things that really speak to their interests. So thank you as always for your continued support and let's get into this conversation with Rob and Aaron. Welcome back to another episode of Cambro Conversations. And today's conversation, we are talking things, all things physio. And to do so, we are joined by Rob and Aaron from Physio Clinic Glasgow. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much for having us, Colin. It's great to be here. Hey, man. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, I'm looking forward to diving into this one and good to connect with other guys doing exciting things in the Glasgow area. And I know we've got a lot of mutual friends as well, previous guests in the podcast, the guys at MTN Coaching. So great to have that kind of reassurance that you guys are spot on in your field and all the chats that we've had building up to this have been really reassuring for me to know that we're going to right some wrongs in the physio world tonight on the podcast. Well, we'll try and do as many as we can, but yeah, we'll try and not make it too long as well at the same time. Agreed, agreed. So first things first, obviously with, with the two of you on the podcast, the two of you in business together, how did that all come about? So we met, I think it'll be almost 10 years ago now. Um, Aaron transferred up to Glasgow Caledonian University to continue his studies in physio and 
went to second year with me. I think I was probably Aaron's first friend on the course. Um, and yeah, we just like personally, we just got on really, really well. Um, in terms of like physio, we kind of had the same interests. We liked working in musculoskeletal physio. We liked working with people with injuries and we liked working um, rehabbing people post-surgery and things like that. Um, we lost contact after uni for a little while. Aaron stayed on and did his master's and I was most certainly done. Um, and then we reconnected probably like four or five years ago. Again, very much the, our philosophies in physio were pretty similar. We were, we were always rehabbers. We always liked very active um, treatments. And when I went and travelled for a year and, and came back, we kind of talked about starting a business. And I think within being home maybe a month, Aaron had secured our premises and we were treating people pretty quickly after that. So that's kind of how everything all started. It didn't, it didn't take us very long to hit the ground running. I mean, we both went our kind of separate ways in physio, if you like. So yeah, Rob's on the other side of the globe. I'm working in about football teams, but strangely, we kind of came together and we both had the same sort of ethos as an outlook on how physio should be done. Um, and yeah, we just, we've always clicked personally, but on a professional level as well, it's been great just to bounce each other off. Um, don't get me wrong, we disagree about some things, but I think it's always important to challenge biases, especially in this world. That's probably healthy for you to both have largely similar views and similar approaches to physio, but equally slightly different approaches to maybe certain minutiae within the field. And I guess that I hate the term, well, I don't know if I hate the term, I quite like the term horses for courses, because you might have a client that responds to, to one thing and another that doesn't respond. So equally, you've got two options within the business on how you treat that client. Yeah, absolutely. We, we bounce ideas off each other all the time with patients. If there's something we're like, we're just not quite getting now, then we, we want to explore other options. We'll flip between each other and bounce ideas off. And yeah, usually it comes off because we're both doing similar sort of things, but just with different approaches sometimes. And yeah, with the mix match between us, we're not really going to miss out on much. Not to give ourselves too much of a, an ego boost, but yeah, we cover all bases pretty much. Yeah, given the reviews on your website, I think you've got every right to have a level of confidence in the short time that you guys have been fully full time into this space. And I think there's a, a lot to be said for that. So I think a lot of the listeners will maybe have seen me speak about physio on Instagram before when people have asked me, like, have you been injured or what problems have you had in your training over the years? And number one for me over the years was a impingement with my right shoulder due to an imbalance between my chest and my back when I first started training basically I was bench pressed daft as you can probably guess and I had a really mixed experience with physios and the initial physios that I spoke to went down a route that I think give the physio industry a kind of a, a mixed kind of review from a lot of trainees and people who lift weights and I was told that rest would fix my problem why is that such a common misconception within this industry yeah, well, certainly it's it's not the way that we go. As Rob's already touched on, we are active rehabbers. We hate rest, and all of our patients that come to see us, they hate rest as well. I don't know <laughs> if you've ever tried to tell a runner to stop running, if you ever tried to tell a lifter to stop lifting, it doesn't work. It's, it's pointless. So we've always emphasized the point of active rehab. It's a bit of an old school way of thinking that rest and the body will sort itself out. 
when your granny hurt her back, you know, she would just go and lie in her bed for a couple of days with some coding because she's phoned up the GP and the GP said, just go and lie in your bed. And we're evidence-based practitioners, so we're always keen to keep up with evidence. And if we look at it now, rest actually has a really, really detrimental effect on us from every standpoint, not just the physiological level, but also the mental side of things. And we can decondition really, really quickly. The research that sits behind uh, atrophy, so muscle loss, when you're inactive is unbelievable. Like it's terrifying how much you lose. You know yourself, Colin, from when you've had those, well, we've had four months away from the gym, you go in and you start lifting the proper weights again. Wow, what a shock to the system it is. And it's only emphasized with people in pain as well because they're so hesitant to move. So yeah, you've had that experience where somebody's told you straight away to rest. And first and foremost, it's probably not what you wanted to do. And it's certainly not anything that we would ever do. Don't get me wrong, if you break your leg, we're not going to make you run. But there's other things that we can do around it. We can build up the strength around that. We can work on your hip muscles so that once everything is healed, at a physiological level, you're going to be nice and strong and we can hit the ground running, basically. There's loads of ways to work you without resting you. So, yeah, bottom line is if you don't move it, you lose it. The, the first thing I'm going to draw from that is, of course, when you get lifters and runners come to you, we just don't want to hear that, oh, just don't do any activity for the next period or even strip back the activity to such a, a low level that you almost feel like shorn of your identity. I think a lot of people maybe felt that when the gyms closed in the last year or so on and off where you lose that part of you that's quite important. And I know people lost it from a work perspective as well. If you were placed on furlough or if your office was closed and you felt that was a big part of your identity. I think when you get a level of injury that... Um, encourages you to be almost bedbound or really reduce what you're typically doing it can be very hard to deal with that so I think it's firstly refreshing from a psychological perspective that you would take that into account and thankfully in this instance the evidence appears to support and the term you're using is active rather than passive or what what would the term for rest be would it be passive yeah yeah it's, it's as passive as you can be really okay so and definitely, I think one of the one of the kind of more recent developments in physio was historically there was a bit of an assumption or a presumption that the inflammatory process was much bigger. So when people had a sore tendon, it's so like a shoulder pain, like yourself, there will be an, an element of tendon pain. Um, even with back pain, um, there was always a presumption that there was a lot of inflammation and that was the main driver with pain. And so if it's something is inflamed, if there's an area that's swollen, um, if there's infiltration of these types of blood cells in that area, then that kind of leads to people thinking we need to rest. But actually, inflammation plays a, probably a smaller part in pain than we thought. And in fact, a bit of inflammation is good for your healing. So I think that's a modern development, our understanding of the pathophysiology. So, so when things don't go quite right, it's completely different. And I think physio are much better at appreciating it. Yeah. I think when guys like yourself who enjoy fitness themselves are in this space, and I'm not saying a lot of other physios don't, because I'm sure there are that have similar interests, but I guess the ones that I encountered weren't particularly passionate about sports and training. And, and that's not to say that later physios that I encountered didn't help me address the issue through, for example, active recovery so active training to do more pulling movements than pressing movements to address the imbalance external rotation with band work and things like that which 
ultimately led to me this position that I'm in today, which is pretty much pain-free from, from that situation. But I guess it was very common at the time to just say, Colin, stop training altogether. You need to rest up your shoulder. Stop playing rugby at the moment. You're just hurting your shoulder, which I probably was. But it's not what you want to hear. And I would much rather as somebody with a, an amount of pain go to somebody who's going to tell me ways to actively fix because I guess a lot of the people that would tune into a self-development based podcast like this one are go-getters and action takers. And the last thing we want to hear is sit back, time will heal all. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the last thing you want to hear indeed. Like if you're busy there benching and somebody's taking that away from you, it's they're looking at it in terms of the structure. So they're looking at your shoulder and going, God, we need to rest that shoulder, but they're not looking at you as the person and the detrimental effect it will have from getting you just to step back and rest. Like I know how I feel and I can pretty much imagine how you'll feel if you've got two, three weeks away from taking away your 10,000 steps a day, taking away your resistance sessions in your cave that I'm quite jealous of as well. You know, if we took that away from you, it's not just the shoulder that we're looking at there, it's you as a whole person and the effect it has on the entire system. What are some of the active things that we can do then? So for me, it was external rotation, banded work for something like an impingement in my shoulder. It was doing more seal rows or barbell rows or lat pull downs or chin ups with a kind of supinated grip as well, because that was working my, my lats and my back in a different range of motion so to speak what are some of the active things that typically clients will will do i suppose strength training might come to mind as, as one yeah strength training is a huge part of what we do um education reassurance our main point when people walk out of the door of the clinic is that they understand what's going on and they can take it on board themselves but yeah strength training is a huge part of it but we like to explain and show our patients why they're doing that so that they understand it it's not just go away and do these four or five exercises and on that as well we only normally give out three or four things to be doing so that it's that's your sole focus so yeah what you're explaining there is is spot on you know they're doing lots of retraction work so we don't like the word imbalance because there's absolutely no symmetry in the body and everybody can pick out an imbalance it's easy enough to do um you pick anybody out on the street and pick out a hundred imbalances um we won't go into that too much, but yeah, what you're essentially saying is let's strengthen other things as well. You, you've taken all that time to make it better from let's, let's look at the surrounding structures because at the end of the day, a movement like bench or squat or anything doesn't incorporate one muscle group. It uses large amounts of them and it's important to work on all of them. Yeah. That, sorry, Rob. Yeah. And certainly kind of come back to the rehab you experienced laterally when someone comes to see you for anything you've got to take into consideration what they do what like what they enjoy exercise wise what they do for a living and you've got to take into consideration what they want to get back to doing so obviously the rehab you had sounds spot on they were progressing you into things you like doing um a chin up is much easier than doing like a wide grip pull up so that's why you start with that supinated grip or uh, the pronated grip um so that that is something that's really important with rehab it's got to be specific to what you want to achieve and that actually i think the physio sounds like they did a really good job yeah they, they absolutely did it just took me two or three to, to 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 get to get there and like i say 
people with my type of personality or people that would listen to a self-development podcast like Camera Conversations, they like to they like to get things done. So it's really refreshing that you're telling me that the evidence backs that up, your approach backs that up. And ultimately there is a misconception that rest can be the best method. Often it's about what we do in terms of our our our, our active modalities and our active treatments rather than these passive ones. And I guess that leads me to the question what are some of the passive ones apart from just take a rest? So the, the list is long. Um, and it's not to say that these passive treatments don't have a place in treatment, but you've got to think of it as your, your pyramid of what is most effective down to what is, is maybe not as effective or ineffective. I think at times massage can be used a little bit more than it should be. Um, I think at times electrotherapy can be used more than more than it should be. Um, we're seeing a lot of more emergence of cupping, and I'm really not. I'm probably a little bit cynical about how effective that can be, but some people swear by it. So these sort of treatments we try not to overuse here, and a lot of people do have a good effect from them, but we don't feel we've had the personal experiences to say we really like it, and certainly the literature doesn't support it. So we've got no interest in jumping into these treatments that we've got no experience of and we're not pushed towards by the literature, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I see Aaron laughing there about um, like the kind of reliance on things like cupping, which I think you see on Instagram, maybe somebody puts up their back with all the cupping yeah. marks on it and people are on it straight away being like, oh, how was it? What happened? Like, how has this impacted your pain or your recovery or whatever it is? And I think because it's it's a bit sexier than you actually need to do some banded pillar parts before you do your bench press, Colin. It's actually it, a conversation I've had with David Hart from MTN when uh, we first started working on a collaboration together and starting this relationship is that it's incredibly difficult to make physio sexy. And I think that's where these kind of modalities do come into play a little bit. And I was kind of sniggering a wee bit there because Rob was answering very diplomatically there. Um, it's not the same answer after a, a couple of buck fasts, but we'll do that another time, maybe off camera. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but you said about Instagram um, as well. And, you know, I, I know I'd spoken to you about this the other day, Colin, but The Rock posted up a picture and he's got all the cuffing on. I'm like, oh, Dwayne, why are you doing it to me? Because then everyone's like, ah, oh, you know, The Rock's doing it. It must be great. And don't get me wrong. If these things feel good, do them, fine. But what these people don't understand is The Rock is a guy who's, I mean, you've seen his home gym, it's ridiculous. He's a guy who's in peak physical condition. He's got his own uh, chef, he's got his own dietitian, he's got his own trainer. He is picking every single box that he possibly could in order to look after himself physically and mentally as well. And the cupping is just, it's, it's the sprinkles on top of the cake. It's not the cake itself. That, that's such an important point. And I think it does link into what David's doing in the fitness space where you need to get your foundations in place with your training and nutrition before you start considering different supplements or different types of training or different types of exercise or different types of meals or foods that you want to incorporate. Let's get the, the basics and the kind of the, the bricks and mortar in place first. And it's fairly unsurprising, albeit maybe it is to some listeners that Physio is very much the same where there's an awful lot of things we can do before we start to do the stuff that maybe peak performers like The Rock are using because he's got all these other variables on point. So if he gets an extra 1%, 2% from cupping, fantastic. Whereas 
general population or even somebody that's quite serious about their training like me, I don't really need that because I've, there's so much other room for improvement within my lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, 100%. That, that hits the nail on the head, really. And the fact that you're willing to acknowledge it as well, because even the likes of ourselves who, yeah, we like to keep ourselves in shape and you know we do quite well and we've got a big investment in health, we acknowledge that we don't tick all the boxes. We're not getting our eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. We're not hitting every sort of calorie surplus that we need to be doing. We're not doing everything correct. You know, like we'll have a beer at the weekend, go and watch The Rock, what he does. And like all of the other athletes as well, the sacrifices and stuff that they put in to get into that peak physical condition kind of earns them the right to play about with these modalities. So like, I've got nothing against it, but it's just the, the misconceptions that come with it, I suppose. What about things like theraguns? Because cupping, like you say, The Rock's shown that, but a lot of us are showing massage guns and theraguns at the moment. What's the situation with those? So yeah, they're they're um, they're definitely sexy at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they. I don't imagine they do a much better job than just getting a regular massage. Massage it can be a really good tool for probably maybe recovery and maybe short term pain, but that should never be considered as a standalone treatment. Um, you've got to be careful with with the treatments we use as well and not to get into negatives too much. But if we overutilize these passive treatments and we create dependence on them, that's really not good for an athlete or a gym goer or just a person's psyche. So we are, I'm always a bit, if someone wants to use, wants to buy a Theragun, I say I don't really have any reason for them to buy it, but if they want to try it, they can. But I'm not sure how effective it is or how much it will help people really get where what they want from, from it, um, if that makes sense. The word you used there that was most important for me was dependence. So if you become heavily dependent as part of your recovery protocol on a massage weekly or a Theragun on a daily or fairly regular basis then I wonder if you are ticking the other boxes that, that Aaron stated there particularly around sleep for example like the number of people that will maybe scalp uh, a monster and uh, as long as they're using my muscle food code we're all good at like six o'clock at night go and train but then wonder why the recovery is poor and use a theragun the next day then there's there's a lot of scope to improve away from using the gun than buying an expensive gun and saying that that's the game changer especially if you have to use it daily that that would worry me if i was using something daily or booking in for weekly massages i'd maybe question what i was missing in other areas yeah absolutely i, I think you've hit the nail on the head there again about how you incorporate these passive modalities and when we get this released, I'm sure I'm going to get a message off of Dale Burke because he loves his set of gun. But again, we're, we're not slating it. We're not saying, you know, that's absolutely pointless. But what you're saying there is there are other focuses on your recovery. We did a post the other day about DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. Yes, you're meant to get sore. It's a natural process. But there is an element of being too far. And like you say, if you're coming away from your session and you're needing the Theragun to just get you going sort of thing, then maybe there's other aspects that we need to be looking at. Are you in a calorie deficit there? You know, are you getting enough carbohydrates post-workout to refuel and recover? Are you getting enough sleep? What else are you doing in between? And that's something that we do tend to address as well. It's not a case of you've got a sore shoulder. Let's look at your shoulder. I had a girl in recently, um, really, really fit, like really, really active. 
but she kept breaking down. She kept having these little kind of tenderness irritations and stuff. And yeah, I set her on some stuff to be doing because she's dead active. She wanted to keep active and I didn't stop her from doing anything. But we actually got into the conversation of her diet. Um, and what we ended up doing was increasing her carb intake after she'd been doing these kind of higher intense activities. And she messaged me a couple of weeks ago, actually. And she said, I can't believe this isn't something I've not clocked onto before. And since then, she's not breaking down as much. She finds she's got more energy and she's not ballooned up or anything. She's not put on any weight or anything. She's given her body something that it needs. And yeah, if your recovery is going for four, five, six days, yeah, you're either doing too much or you're not putting in enough, basically. Yeah, I'm really glad you've raised both nutrition and sleep within this. And it would be very easy from a financial perspective for you guys to say, yes, you should be getting weekly massages from a trained physio and coming in to see us. Um, you can use the link in the bio below. And that's and that's that's all that's all well and good. However, if we if we think about it from a, a genuine holistic perspective and also a long-term perspective, being able to educate clients on these other areas to enable them to maybe depend, and we're using that D word again, less on weekly treatment or weekly stimulus through a, a tool like a gun or a foam roller or something like that then that's good news all around yeah 100 percent. can agree more yeah definitely i've said foam roller there and i've taken pelters from multiple fairly well-educated people on instagram for for um using a foam roller quite often how how does that stack up towards the theragun in terms of evidence-based yeah so so there is a little bit of evidence to say that, that it's useful for recovery. Um, I certainly would never use it as a physiotherapeutic technique. But I don't believe that it, it, it changes your tissues capacity for loads. Um, yeah, so I, there's some evidence that says if you use it after quite intense activity, that it can help your recovery. So you might have a bit less DOMS. Um, in the short term, it can help you get slightly more range of movement. So, so if you find in your squat, your, your ankle is just not letting you get deeper, you could try it five minutes, like two minutes of foam rolling your calf, um, foam rolling um, like muscles in the, like the lateral and the medial inside of your, um, your lower leg. But really, really, I don't think it's as useful as it's portrayed in mainstream media, to be honest. And do things like a lacrosse ball on my glutes and my hamstrings and my calf, does that link in the same way as it's primarily something for maybe a little bit of recovery after intense exercise, but more often than not, it's really just to increase range of motion before I perform an exercise? Yeah, so I think, again, the exact same thing. If you're finding you need a greater range of movement for something, a movement, a lift, then it could be useful. Um, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a hot debate in physio, and, and we have a quite a strong opinion on it about whether tissue can be released or not. Um, and yeah, so our opinion is relatively strong that we're not convinced you can release tissue. So so again, it's not it shouldn't be used as a as a thera- physiotherapeutic technique. It might be able to get you a bit more range of movement. It might be able to help you recover. I'm not sure it can do much else. Yeah, I appreciate that. And given that I'm quite open-minded to listening to people that know what they're talking about, and I think most people on the podcast will as well, although the only thing I'll say from like a habits perspective, and those that have listened to the podcast for a while now will know that I love James Clear's Atomic Habits, I find that by starting to roll first thing in the morning, I then go into my other stretches, like my cat cow, my uh, 90-90 hip, 
hinges and openers and whatnot to try and loosen off some of my banded work for my for my shoulders and my um and my neck so the only kind of thing I've got to fall back on is that that's the kind of trigger or the cue for me to go into my other stuff however I could definitely get rid of that and probably save some time I suppose that's not a problem though it's your routine it's what makes you feel good it's what stimulates you both mentally and physically there's nothing wrong with it I know that when I go and squat and when I deadlift I've got a certain routine that I go through and it's it's not involving loads of bits of equipment and stuff it's just kind of mobilizing little bits that I feel need work on and that's my kind of prep towards it and I think everybody has their own prep towards it as well so you know we're not criticizing anybody in terms of what they do and it just comes back to that point of if it feels good do it that's fine but recognize its value basically yeah understanding the return on investment from that so it might be yeah. that if you are spending 20 minutes with a theragun or 20 minutes on the foam roller you may be better off addressing other areas of your body maybe in terms of strengthening areas around the joint around that muscle rather than relying upon this and then equally you could spend more time prioritizing sleep or the quality of nutrition around your training and i think that's a hard pill for people to swallow because yet again it's not that s word that i've been using and you've used throughout the podcast guys sexy it's not as attractive it's not as exciting but ultimately the foundations matter far more than the kind of sprinkling on top and that leads me into a question around self-efficacy it's a term that you guys use a lot within your content online what does that mean as a physio helping your clients achieve self-efficacy? So self-efficacy is a term that I think is used quite a lot, but maybe isn't particularly well understood. Um, but essentially it's it's your ability to have confidence or be sure that you can perform a task or achieve a goal. Um, and I thought this is probably something that's quite important we talk about outside the physio world as well, but, but certainly when someone has high self-efficacy or high self-belief, they're likely to engage in the process to achieve something, achieve a goal or perform their task. And likewise, if you have low self-efficacy, like we are efficient creatures, you're not going to put effort and you're not going to engage in a process that you don't think you can do. And again, high self-efficacy as well is conversely, when things aren't going well, people with high self-efficacy generally have greater resilience they don't dwell on their perceived mistakes or their perceived shortcomings and they look more at their successes. So from a, from a perspective of a, of a physio, certainly you want someone to really believe in their treatment um, and you want them to feel they can do it. And I think physio within, within healthcare is uniquely positioned. We have a lot of time with our clients or our patients. We were also trained as educators and we should be experts within pain and anatomy, physiology, and exercise, and what exercise does to physiology. And if we can break down these complex concepts and kind of for a lay person or a pain person who's untrained, people with a greater education tend to do much better and have much, much greater self-efficacy. They believe they can do it, so they can do it. Um, if that kind of makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of that links into almost empowering and self-efficacy, empowerment, uh, enabling, whatever term you want to use is giving the clients the tools and the resources and the understanding to go away and manage their pain without maybe seeing you as regularly, still checking in regularly and keeping up to date, but maybe that removing again, dependence, 
and giving somebody kind of an individual responsibility to move forward. Yeah, and certainly we think that's useful outside of physio as well. And the guys that we associate within the fitness world, um, like MTN and David Hart, um, there's some guys close to us. And we feel that these people are very good at providing support, but educating and um, providing um, reassurance and then gradually withdrawing support as it's not required. And the people within the fitness industry we associate with, they're very good at creating self-efficacy. And a big part of that as well is like P- these PTs that we work with, the strength and conditioning coaches, they're, they're forever chasing successes with their, with their clients. They're forever goal setting, um, short, medium, long-term goals. And there's really also nothing that creates self-efficacy like success. So when you've got someone that, that their goal is to get under 11% body fat, if you have your short-term goal that they're just going to, they're going to drop two pounds of body fat in the next four weeks, that little win can create a greater self-efficacy and can really facilitate their fitness journey. Um, so self-efficacy is important out with physio, out with training. You pick your mentors, you pick your personal trainer, and you should pick your physio based on do they empower you. Um, and so we, we feel quite strong about it. We read a lot about it and we want to talk about it as well. Yeah, it's a healthy philosophy, isn't it? Because like you say, it matches over into other industries or linked industries that you have an admiration for people within that field and you want to bring that same level to the space that you're both in and enabling a man to fish rather than just cooking his dinner all the time is the kind of almost biblical way for us to to describe that for anyone that relates really to the to the religious element of things and for for me I can completely see where the link goes between somebody being empowered within their fitness journey and their ability to achieve results in that space and maintain them long term and their ability to be pain-free and function and perform longer term long after their first appointment or even their last formal appointment with yourselves yeah absolutely when we speak to our patients something i'll often say um to patients is we don't want to see you you know, we want to see you as little as possible. And that's not in the sense of, I can't be bothered with you because we love our patients. We, we've got really good, we've got such a good client base. But we want to see our patients less in the context of they're happy managing their own condition and knowing how to take control. And like Rob says, promoting that self-efficacy because if you go and see a physio and we're talking about these passive modalities and stuff, if they go away and apply all of these things for a full session, they make you feel better, but you need to come back again in a couple of weeks and repeat the same process and you're relying on that, then you're not getting any degree of self-efficacy out of it. I would much rather our patients walked out the door, they went and spoke to whoever they're saying, you know, how did you go on with that physio? And they were like, yeah, it was great. They, they showed me like what's going on and they told me how to manage it as well. So what, if it flares up again, or if there's a similar situation, these patients are able to take control of it themselves without hitting that big red panic button and run into the physio, you know, and don't get me wrong. It's, we like to be busy. We like to see our patients and stuff as well, but we would much rather have better outcomes with our patients. And I think that's reflected in, you mentioned our reviews and stuff. And yeah, we haven't been going for that long a time, but our patients have got such a good relationship with us because of this ethos that we try and instill in them. And yeah, it's reflected in kind of the feedback we get from them. Yeah, really refreshing, guys. So first of all, well done on having that ethos, and I'm sure it'll carry you forward really, really well. That links to a lot of what you said previously around maybe not advising rest straight away, 
almost training with an element of pain do we like how can we do that like what does that typically look like give me an example that the listeners might be able to relate to of training with pain so this is something i'm particular i mean we both are but i'm particularly passionate about um i've got a bit of an ego so if i'm in pain and i know i need to leave something alone i'm i'm not very good at it personally um and neither are my patients either so you know there's a degree of empathy there when it comes to training with pain we can look at it from two perspectives like i mentioned earlier if you've got a broken leg I'm not going to make you run, okay? We are going to look at things surrounding it. But the other side of it is using graded loading or optimized loading so that we're getting people to manage their pain a little bit better. So back pain is the biggest thing for it. Knee pain as well. There's quite a lot of links between the two. But when we get people in their back pain, the first thing that they don't want to do is move their back, basically. So if we can work them into a way, we can work their training into their rehab that, it makes them challenge their belief about their pain, then it means that when they're going to be going away and doing these things, they're going to be going, right, okay, I understand this pain a little bit better and I can work within it. So we kind of, we normally have like a pain rule. So we're like, you know, if you're hitting four or five out of 10 pain, then we've gone too far. But we educate people and we say, yeah, what we're trying to achieve is, you know, you might be a bit tight, you might be a bit sore and given that level of reassurance around it so that they can still put the plates on the bar and build themselves up without giving themselves a huge flare of pain and taking five steps back. And that is a normal process of it. You will push it at some point. Because of our clientele, these young active, sorry, not just young, that's ages, but active clientele is they want to push the boundaries and they want to see how far they go. So when a patient comes to us and says, ah, I'm doing really well, but then I pushed it too far and I really irritated it, they kind of take it as a negative. And I try and take, well, we both try and spin it around on them and say, that's a really big positive because you're willing to push that boundary and see where you're getting to with pain. But as long as they understand it and they're not completely put off by the movement or training with that pain, then we can ease them back into it. So coming back to the graded loading thing, let's start really, really slow. If it is a painful squat we've got, then fine, we're going to reduce the range. We're going to take the weight off of it and build you in so that you're pain-free and managing the squat properly. And then we build up from there because that not only gives you the confidence in it, but it also helps you modulate your pain our neurological system is mega, mega complex. It's the simplest of things that kind of reassure it, if you will. So again, come back to back pain is as soon as we get somebody moving and we get them moving in a comfortable way, those messages are communicating up to their brain and saying, all right, that's that's actually okay to move there because the first thing you do in your back pain is you don't want to move basically. So, and that relates into training. We need to be able to show people, and that's our job, how they can train in pain. Yeah, and again, it just links into that whole, you don't necessarily need to rest, but you need to understand. And you mentioned there like grading pain as well from like one to 10 and knowing that what a five feels like, what a six feels like, knowing what a seven or eight or nine. And that means basically stop what you're doing, stop that movement. Whereas maybe at the lower end, it just means that maybe there's a a technique flaw or maybe there's some tightness, maybe there's some mobility or range issues that you can work on and strip back and what was the term graded weighting graded loading graded loading so yeah just loading things in a nice graded approach so that yeah the patient's reassured equally as part of that there's different types of pain as well isn't there it's not just a shooting pain in my arm or a shooting pain in my that's where the education concept comes into it and that's why it's our job to educate you and you about these different types of pain so we've got neuropathic pain we've got muscular pain we've got 
even inflammatory pain. I know we've touched on it not being as big a thing, but we've got all these different types of pain that we need people to understand and recognize so that it helps them manage the condition. Yeah, I think that's really important because like you say, with these different types of pain, if we gain an understanding and your patients become empowered to understand that, they can know whether it's one that they can maybe push through or they can work on, or it's one that means they need a, a more urgent appointment or a more urgent stop to what they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a balance with our patients. Um, and like we're saying, we'd like them to go away and do their own thing with that empowerment. But there are elements of it where they will need that extra bit of supervision, that extra bit of guidance. And that links into the psychosocial side of pain as well, because when you're in pain, it's so so disheartening and so disconcerting as well. We need to make sure that we are educating them and guiding them along that path. I've heard you talk about the coffee cup of pain before or the coffee cup of kind of tolerance. What does that mean? So yeah, this is an analogy we use. I'm not sure we coined it, but we definitely utilize it enough. And so we talk about our, our capacity to load, how much load we can put through our body through the day. And that's not just lifting weights. That's your daily stresses of life. It's your 10,000 steps. It's your stress at work it's your bad night's sleep so essentially you're filling up your coffee cup every day and there comes a point where you cannot put any more coffee into the cup otherwise it spills over that spillover of coffee is when you get the breakdowns and pain when things start kind of not going your way if you will and there's two ways to go about it we can either reduce the amount of coffee that's going in the cup so reducing the amount of load so we strip away your training, we try to make things easier at work, um, or we can make the coffee cup bigger. Um, and I think a lot of people relate to this because we could always do with more coffee personally. Um, so we would much rather make your coffee cup bigger. So increase your capacity to load. And that comes through what we've been talking about, the strengthening aspect, the understanding what's going on so that you can take on a bit more coffee without it spilling over and causing you issues. Yeah, there's so many different factors that lead into this cup that we pour into, so to speak, before it overflows and causes us problems. So it's like, like you said, our, our lifestyle, our relationships, our stress, our job, our work, our training, our sleep. If those get to a level where it exceeds our capacity, that's when we start to get the, maybe the more serious aspects of pain that you would maybe see amongst patients. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I can understand from a a pain perspective that there's elements that are more serious than others based on how much your capacity is overthrown. So for example, it might be that I do a, a dumbbell snatch that's a, 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 at the end of a, at the end of a, a, a CrossFit wad that is just beyond my capacity because I slept poorly last night. I didn't mobilize in the way that I normally do before my training. And it's led to me picking up a niggle but equally, if that was maybe a heavy one at max squat, I would be in a lot more trouble because that movement has more potential for significant pain, I guess. Yeah, exactly. You, you poured more coffee in at the end of the day and you've not made your coffee cup big enough for that day. I always put it into the context. I, we like our analogies in here. We're quite visual, guys. If you if you go into the doctors awaiting the results of the scan, you go in there and the doctor delivers you great news. Says, yeah, you're all clear. It's great. Everything's fine. You walk out there with a sense of euphoria. You walk out into the waiting room, stub your toe. You will laugh it off. I guarantee it. Because nothing can touch you at that point. Conversely, if you go in there and you get the news you didn't want, 
you walk out of there, you stub your toe, you could potentially be on your hands and knees crying. And that's that relationship between emotion and our psyche on psychosomatic symptoms, as we explained. So mood um, has a massive, massive effect on how we regulate pain. And that's when we hear terms about fibromyalgia and depression and chronic pain and stuff as well. And that's where our understanding of pain is so important because it's not just active individuals with a little knee tweak or shoulder tweak that we see. It's actually people with long-standing pain that we need to get them on board and show that we understand and we can empathize with their pain and set them on a path that gets them to address it properly and help them manage it. That analogy is incredibly helpful, isn't it? Where you're coming out of the surgery and depending on the news you've gotten relates to how much your capacity and tolerance will be for an instant that could tip you over the edge or you can shrug off just based on your current situation and how full the cup is so to speak to to relate back to that for me one of the things that interested me when prepping for this was recovery from major incidents so there's probably a lot of people that are listening that have had a broken bone or a, a challenge over the years and coming back from that is something that some people almost never recover from they refer to it as like oh that's my bad leg or my weak arm or that's my dodgy knee how do we on a practical level, recover from these kind of more major instances or surgeries? So we were kind of just slipping into it a little bit there where we're talking about the, the multifactorial aspects of it, you know, the impact of mind on these things. So it isn't just the physical aspects that we're addressing. Um, we get lots of big injuries, we get big broken bones, we get ACLs, big operations and stuff. And they can be quite traumatic for patients. So there's one thing in terms of, yeah, let's physically strengthen you. Let's make you as strong as possible. Let's get you back to where you were. And we never go by the way of, let's get you back to your baseline where you were before. Because at the end of the day, that's the position you're in when you're injured. We try and get you back better, stronger, faster, as said by Daft Punk. But the other aspects that we need to address are the psychosocial. I, I tell everybody about this, and the player I'm talking about won't mind me telling everybody as well. Um, this was a boy that I looked after when I was a head physio at Queen's Park and he did his ACL again so he re-ruptured his graft in the middle of a game he tried to bicycle kick a ball and he's a centre-back don't ask me why he did it I'll never know but anyway me and the doctor kind of recognised this was going to be a really big thing for him an ACL operation isn't a small thing and this was a young guy who's had his second one now he was a fantastic rehabber and we worked with him really closely me and the doctor and we tried to kind of get aboard in terms of his psyche. He's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And right enough, he was doing all the right things. And physically, he, he was superb. His, he took his rehab to a T. And he's like 6'2", like about 14 stone, big, big, strong boy. Got him really fast, got him really confident as well. But there was a switch when I got him out into the pitch and started doing the pitch training rehab. So I noticed that big time, he was really quite timid. So what I ended up doing was... I would put the ball in the middle of the park and I would tell him to come and take it off of me, basically. Um, now, I'm a fairly big guy myself. I'm like 15 stone as well. So it was a big ask for him. And he, at first, was kind of doing this little nudging away sort of thing. And I kept going and going and going until eventually it clicked that he can rely on that knee because of the work that he's put in from the rehab perspective. And then, boof, he flings me off of the ball and he's back playing within about three or four weeks. And he's not had any issues since, touch wood. Yeah, that is an excellent example, isn't it, of sometimes, even if we're tested it in other environments, we need to be 
tested in battle, so to speak. And that's corny, isn't it? People talk about like going to war at the gym and stuff like that. And it's a bit <laughs> cringe, isn't it? But but you certainly do have to test these different recoveries. Like I've done all the recovery work. I've done all the rehab. I'm, I'm doing my prehab now, whatever term you want to use. But does it actually stand up to the tests and the rigors that it did previously that it needs to stand up to moving forward? And that's interesting how that links into what's going on inside your head. I don't know if you guys heard the Johnny Wilkinson podcast on the High Performance podcast. He was talking about... It was incredible because he was basically crippled for years and years and years. I think he had something like 11 consecutive serious injuries because a lot of what was going on was in his head and he was putting yeah. so much pressure on himself that it was manifesting as terrible pain and causing all these awful injuries. And I know there's a lot of footballers that have come out since hearing that podcast. One of them actually used to play for the team I support, Rangers, Jamie Ness. And he spoke about just constantly being injured because what was going on inside his head was about these injuries, uncertainty of it, anxiety playing into like, can I go on the pitch and perform? Can my body stand up to these rigors? And almost being unable to prove that to himself. So doing things like that kind of practice you did with your your, your centre-half client, Aaron, makes a big difference to that reassurance within their head. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, we're looking at what's functional for you. If somebody comes into us and says, I'm getting pain with my squat, I'm getting pain when I'm running, I'm not going to go out there and sit them on a bike and see how they work on the bike. We're going to get them doing the thing that's causing them the issue, whether it's from a psych input or from a an actual physical standpoint or a mix of both. We're going to look at you doing the actual thing and make sure we can guide you to do the thing that you want to do. It's as simple as that. It's, it's really not a complex thing at all. And I know from, I have read a bit about Wilkinson as well. He limped through that 2003 World Cup, but he was the man of the tournament. He, he won it for England, essentially. And it shows what can be done. It's the power of the mind as well in respect to the body. We're health professionals by trade. We understand things on a physiological and a structural level. But if we do not acknowledge the influences from the psych side of things, we have got no chance. And that's why we always say we're addressing the person, not the symptom. Yeah, I think that's a really excellent phrase, isn't it? And in the recovery from a serious surgery or serious incident, there's maybe a little bit of a reluctance to get back under heavy weights because my body might not be ready. How do you encourage clients to overcome that fear? Well, really, that, that's actually something that we probably borrow from um, cognitive, cognitive behaviour therapists. Um, it, it's really similar to gradual loading we've got to gradually expose them to the things they want to do and the things that will be beneficial to them. So if you want someone to squat heavy, you don't stick them under a barbell immediately, but you maybe start with some goblet squats. So you, you start with a little bit of leg press and you show them what they can do. And again, the same thing with building self-efficacy, you have to give people successes along the journey. Um, so it's about gradually exposing them to the things they want to do. Um, and yeah, it's pretty, that's pretty much the main tool we use to get them along those lines. We educate and then we show you what you can do and we show you your successes. I really, really like the success term because it generates momentum. So if you can goblet squat next week, let's do it with just the barbell. The week after that, let's do it with the templates. And the week after that, we might be starting to use some of the weights that you've used previously when you were not injured and you have that reassurance and it's like a, a gradual build up in a process and I suppose the success of each week gives you the reassurance to continue to move forward it'd be really remiss of me not to ask you on the podcast 
what was it like operating a physio service, which is a health service ultimately during COVID-19? How was it impacted? Yeah, so from a clinician's perspective, it was challenging. Um, when we see someone, especially when we assess someone, we garner a lot of data and information from physically laying our hands on you and, and feeling how a joint moves or feeling feeling where you're tender, knowing exactly where you're tender. So immediately you lose all that information when you try and work remotely, which is what we had to do. Um, but what I would say is with that, sometimes in physio, we need to remember that we're we're primarily listeners and I think getting to work remotely I got a little bit better at maybe shutting up at times um and I got professionally speaking yeah yeah. no no I still thought the same otherwise um (laughs) but certainly I also got better at asking asking the right questions so I shut up a bit more and I asked the right questions so that that was beneficial from the business perspective it was really challenging initially we got a lot of our referrals in from um from like MTN and our health and fitness partners, and they weren't able to actually continue to like practice, so to speak. So we did have a lot more time in our hands for a period, but that actually allowed us to develop the business, to to find better booking software, to find software to auto-publish our um, content. It gave us time to sit and talk about what our ethos and our philosophy is um, and how we can market that. So we come up with our slogan, uh, work hard, get better. And even little things like that, I think that's really important, but we we didn't have time to do this in the beginning. So it, it's been challenging, but actually we are much better placed to grow. We've got systems in place that would have been much harder to put in place if we didn't have a pandemic, to be honest. I love hearing people that enabled themselves to level up during this, even if it wasn't direct, like really measurable stuff, for example, or we grew our revenue from X to Y, we worked with X number more patients. That's all well and good. But the background stuff, the foundation stuff that we spoke about that's maybe not so sexy, like the systems in the background, the booking software, my my soft skills for just listening that little bit more to what a patient's telling me, that's really, really foundational for where your business is going to go longer term. And to utilize the the pause that the pandemic has given to many of us in the right way, I think is a lesson that many people can learn moving forward to apply and hopefully what we'll find is a bit more normality moving forward in some sense. And I always like to, I actually am actively finding I'm seeking out content, both from my own podcast, but other things that I'm listening to of people who've taken the time to move forward during a period where it's been quite tempting to be stagnant and, and not do that. I think there was almost that temptation for us originally because we had literally set things up February time. We just started seeing patients in February time and then boom, lockdown. Um, obviously, we were fortunate enough for the regulations to change in kind of the, uh, no, August time, sorry, for us to see patients again face-to-face. But yeah, like Rob said, it gave us a chance to develop all of these things and really reaffirm our ethos because there is a temptation, and we keep mentioning it, the, the sexy physio, there is that temptation for us to start buying into that so that when we open back up, you know, look at all these cool toys we've got basically and, you know, look at what we can offer you sort of thing. But it gave us that chance to reflect and reaffirm ourselves in, no, let's let's stick to the evidence-based treatment. Let's do the stuff that works. And I think we were both a little bit hesitant in that because when people come to see you and pay you money for a treatment, they're expecting maybe a little bit more than they would get through the NHS, say. 
But what we're making sure that we do is we're doing our job and we're doing it well. And yeah, we're getting the foundations of the cake and not just putting the sprinkles on it straight away. Yeah, love to hear that, guys. I guess you and I have had a good laugh beforehand, Aaron, getting this organized. And I know Rob's got some passionate opinions on these things, but you spoke about the sprinkles and we've spoken about some of the sprinkles that exist within your industry. If there was one kind of bullshit treatment that you could get rid of, what would it be? Um, yeah, so that that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> probably, so so it's considered a treatment, but trying to change someone's posture is, is quite heavily pushed at the moment. Um, the evidence for what is good posture is not there so there is not a there's not a best uh, there's not a best posture that's really productive uh, really protective of, of like back pain and things and i think that we spend far too much time um trying to create posture so it's it's not that it's particularly harmful creating posture i just i just see lots of people that spend a lot of money and a lot of time trying to protect it that's my thing you didn't say the phrase i was waiting for you to say the phrase What's that? Your next posture is your best posture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, oh. that's our phase. Hey, I you like can that. use that. I like that. No, I really like that because you see a lot of people, especially since we've moved to home working more, saying, oh, my posture at my desk is worse now. Now, I definitely think there's a case for your posture not being conducive to back pain, or sorry, it not being conducive to um, kind of enabling you to be pain-free, but that's more because you're staying in that position for long periods of time my understanding is a lot of the time it's about moving into different positions throughout the day so it might actually be quite healthy to be slouched at your laptop for 15-20 minutes as long as your next 15-20 minutes are either upright or kind of shoulders more retracted or protracted and in a healthier position it's more about the fact that some people sit for eight hours a day in one position that causes them discomfort over the longer term it, yeah, nail on the head. I, I say to people, because people often ask us about posture, and I say, it doesn't really matter. You can come and sit in here and have your hips and your knees at 90 degrees and your chest out and your shoulders back and sit in the quote-unquote perfect position. But I guarantee if you go and do that for three or four hours, you're going to be in agony regardless, compared to me who, come and, come and watch me, and like, what, what, watch what I do. I'll slouch, I'll bend over, I'll sit up straight, I'll change about all the time. I used to suffer really badly with back pain and that was one of the things, this is before physio, obviously, it was one of the things that had been instilled in me. I need to sit, you know, army sergeant, you need to be upright all the time. And one, it's not practical. And two, it's actually, it's total BS, to be honest. Yeah, so if that was the one piece of things we'd get rid of, I think that's something very interesting for the listeners. And if they want to find out more about that and everything else that we've discussed tonight, guys, where should they head towards? So our Instagram is probably our, our main plug, to be honest. We are trying to tune into other things. We've got a YouTube channel for our rehab library, but definitely the Instagram is where you can get us. We do tend to answer DMs quite quickly as well. So it's at the Physio Clinic Glasgow. Um, we're very simple. We're very straightforward. And definitely go check out our YouTube channel. So we're, we're building a bit of a, an exercise or rehab encyclopedia. So um, there's more and more stuff getting posted. We've just started. So if you subscribe now, you'll get access to everything. You won't miss a thing. Brilliant. Both of those will be linked in the show notes below. Thank you very much for joining me, Rob. Thanks very much for joining me, Aaron. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure you listeners have enjoyed that as well. If you have done, please take a screenshot, pop it in your Instagram story, tag my page at call.cambro, tag the guy's page, and I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.